Hello everyone and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Once, I reviewed each of his works in the chronological order of publication, but Ka is a wheel, it all goes round again, and here I am once more on the newest phase of this journey, one that examines each of the endings of the works of Stephen King to determine whether or not he deserves his reputation for having an inability to successfully land his endings. Focus of the podcast will be to examine the climax, falling action, and resolution of the endings to each of his novels and break it down by characters, themes, conflict, and plot to determine whether or not it meets the criteria of being an objectively good ending. I'll also weigh in on whether or not I happen to personally like the ending. And today we're here to discuss, um, spoiler alert, uh, what is probably his strongest ending, which is 11-22-63. So I think that that kind of clues you into how I feel about... Uh, the ending to this particular book. But I just want to say, hey, everyone, and happy summer. Uh, it's me. I'm here. I'm alive. Again, I feel like I do this more often than not when I uh, record. I I usually apologize uh, because it's been so long since the last episode. Um, but I have some time on my hands. I have some podcasts to record. And I think that I still have a couple listeners out there. So I wanted to, um, you know, start getting on it while I had the time. And get it out there to, to all of you. So um, today I'm here to discuss 112263. For everyone that is new um, to the, the podcast, uh, welcome. Hello. Uh, thanks for joining us. There's a ton of uh, older episodes in the back catalog for you to enjoy. Um, once upon a time, I uh, reviewed each of his works in the chronological order of publication um, and did some really extensive deep dives into each of his books and movies and really splashed around in how they uh, related to one another, what the larger themes were, uh, you know, how each novel or short story or novella, you know, helped define uh, certain phases of his career and what that meant. And so if you're interested in that, head back into the feed and choose any of the episodes um, that you would like. Um, but if you want to just go on a long journey, start at Carrie and make your way. And for those of you who have listened to every one of these episodes, thank you for, for sticking with me for so long. Here's what's crazy is that we're in year nine of the Stephen King cast. Next year is going to be the 10th year anniversary of this show launching, which is wild to me. Wild. There's been so many episodes and so many really cool things um, that I'll, I'll you know, discuss um, in a retrospective next year. But it's been a really, really cool journey. And I've just been thinking about that um, lately that we have gotten uh, so much has happened. And, uh, you know, just how grateful I am of this this podcast and getting to put it out and, and hearing from from all of you, which brings me to the fact that I, um, I can't do it without all of you. Um, so if you have any thoughts on Stephen King, um, write into the Stephen King cast, sorry, just write into Stephen King cast at yahoo.com. And I would love to be able to, to read your listener email on the air. Like Travis, who writes, just recently got back into Stephen King and I'm quickly snatching up every copy I can find to read uh, so I can read everything. I'm currently reading Lisey's story. Next, I'm either going to jump onto Black House because I love the talisman so much or start on the journey to the Dark Tower. Um, only listening to episodes of books that I've read, so I don't hear spoilers. Keep up the great work, and thanks for the entertainment. Thank you, Travis. Thank you for, for writing in, and I hope that you enjoy The Black House uh, when you're done. If you did not like it, 
um, listen to my episode and see if I can make the case for why the Black House is awesome. Roland writes, whoa, Roland, Roland himself. Oh, it's a different Roland. Anyway, Roland writes, hello again, mate. Hope you're keeping well. I just wanted to drop you a line as I listened to your episode on the ending of From a Buick 8. The part where you talked about losing your dog really hit a nerve, so much so that I made my wife listen to it. She has no interest in King and had never heard your show before. I played it to her as she is passionate about dogs, and it left us both with a lump in our collective throats. We lost our dog 10 years in May, and it still hurts. It was perhaps the most touching description of losing a beloved pet I have heard, and the way you reiterated that you should live in the moment really hit home. I always say to her that you should never go to sleep on an argument. I know this was some time ago for you now, but I hope you and the family have gotten over it a bit. Anyway, keep up the great work as always. Nothing from me on King this time. Just wanted to thank you as much as it's been difficult a difficult show to record. Thanks, Roland. Roland, thank you. I um, had written to, to Roland to, to thank him. It actually caused me to go back and listen to that particular episode um, so I could... Uh, it sounds weird, but I wanted to re-experience it. Um, and I, I, you know, there's a line that I've, I've brought up before from wizard and glass that, that King writes about the, uh, worst thing about a broken heart is that it heals. Um, there's something to be said about when a heart is broken, all of the feelings that flood out of it, how everything is raw and everything is fresh and everything has a, a, a deep impact. You feel greatly. Um, and that's the thing about mourning is that you move on. And memories fade, and I I miss my dogs very much, and I don't want those memories to fade. Um, so that that really helped me, and actually I it, it caused me to, you know, I, I'm in a very retrospective point right now with ten years coming up next year, and stuff like this. So it actually made me go back and listen to some of the older episodes, and you know, I was listening to an episode, uh, and. I just heard this this click clack in the background and some some snoring noises and I didn't think of it at first um, because it's so commonplace. But then I just realized, oh my god, it's it's a sound I'm never going to hear again. It's 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 maybe it's sunny. It's it's my dogs. There they are. I can hear them. It's like they're right there. It it was a feeling that was just just felt like they were with us and they were with me in that moment and it was it was really meaningful so uh roland thank you for writing in everyone that has ever written in um about the dogs thank you so much um it makes me really happy to know that they they had fans out there and they were loved by people that uh, never met them scott writes hello constant reader i don't know if you remember me i'm the foolish long walker that is listening to all the stephen king audiobooks in order whilst running hiking and walking i took a break from king on my journey because of the pandemic and life but i'm back and catching up with your podcast once again I ju- i'm just finishing up your review of hearts in atlantis and confession time i read this before i read any of the gunslinger books so all the tower references were lost on me but now after rereading and listening to the series, this is truly one of my favorites. My head reeled at one point while listening to Bobby um, uh, reading the paper to Ted, who was shaving at the time. Ted tells Bobby that the man who wrote the option piece was the Ka May, uh, Ka's fool. I grinned like one too. Ted spoke the high speech. The head reels. The audiobook is a good listen with William Hurt narrating the low men in yellow coats and King himself reading the time at the university. The end of the novel is beautiful too. It's not the ending I wanted, but it's the ending. Ka willed. Long days. Tittering laugh. 
and pleasant nights. Scott, thank you so much. And I, at some point, I have to get into the audiobooks. I just hear that there's great things and the idea of William Hurt, the late great William Hurt, reading um, Hearts in Atlantis, that's, uh, or uh, Low Men in Yellow Coats, that's, that sounds like a wonderful thing. And that's what's great about Stephen King is that, you know, you can, it gives you reasons to go back. I remember when I read um, uh, Wastelands, which I had read before The Stand, then I wound up reading The Stand, and then sometime later I read The Wastelands again, and then spoiler alert for The Wastelands, spoiler alert for The Wastelands, when when Randall Flagg shows up, I hadn't caught that the first time around, but the second time around, I, you know, it, everything like, you know, just fell into place. So being able to just jump around his chronology and then go back and reread um, with different pieces of the puzzle, uh, it, it's, it's a really cool environment or uh, experience. Robert writes, hello, have you done an episode for Joe Hill's Heart-Shaped Box? I've seen other episodes covering Joe Hill's books and maybe missed it. If you haven't, can't wait for one. I just finished it while breaking from Stephen King before reading Nosferatu for the holidays and The Stand in January for the first time. I was surprised by how much I loved Heart-Shaped Box. You do a great job and your Stephen King podcast is my favorite. Hope you had a nice Thanksgiving with family and friends. So this tells you how long it's been and how slow I've been to, to respond to, to people. So thank you, Robert. Um, no, I have not done a Heart-Shaped Box review. It is something that I do want to do in the future. Um, I dug it out uh, from uh, one of my boxes in the basement. It should be here somewhere. I don't know where it is now, but it, it does exist. It is somewhere upstairs where I can easily uh, access it, um, and I hope to read it soon. I'm currently reading uh, A God in the Shed by J.F. Dubow, which is a little, it's like a little Lovecraft meets uh, Stephen King. It's about a small town in Canada with a, a really creepy secret at its center um, with a... Uh, with a literal god um, trapped in a shed, all because of a children's game, uh, and the, uh, the the secrets of the the townsfolk that know about this, um, and have inner conflicts with one another about what to do about this and how it has shaped the community and what's best for the community moving forward. So it's it's really good. I'm really enjoying it. So I don't know how it's going to end, but from what I understand, there is a sequel, A God in the Shed by J. F. Dubow. Um, check it out. All right, guys. So let's uh, let's move on um, to eleven twenty two sixty three. In order for us to talk about the ending of eleven twenty two sixty three, let's talk about the Wikipedia entry. Jake Epping is a recently divorced high school English teacher in Lisbon Falls, Maine, earning extra money teaching a GED class. Epping gives an assignment to his adult students, asking them to write about the day that changed their lives. One of the students, a learning impaired janitor named Harry Dunning submits an assignment describing the night his alcoholic father murdered his mother and siblings with a hammer. The story emotionally affects Jake, and the two become friends after Harry earns his GED. Two years later, Jake is summoned by another friend, Al Templeton, the owner of a local diner. When Jake arrives at the diner, he is shocked to discover that Al has terminal lung cancer, despite appearing perfectly healthy the night before. Al instructs Jake to step into the back of the diner's pantry, where Jake finds a time slip leading to Lisbon Falls as it existed on September 9th, 1958. After exploring the town, Jake returns to 2011 and learns that the portal leads to the same moment of, of the same day every time it's used and that a visitor will always return to the present by a margin of two minutes. 
Because the portal gives one the ability to alter the present by changing an event in the past, Al reveals that he had concocted a plan to prevent John F. Kennedy's assassination, hoping that doing so would stop the Vietnam War and change history for the better. He spent four years in the past after in entering the portal the previous night, traveling to Dallas, Texas, to track Lee Harvey Oswald, plotting to kill the would-be assassin during his attempted murder of General Edwin Walker. His delay was due to the fact that he wanted to be absolutely sure that Oswald was a killer and would act alone. However, due to his cancer, Al is unable to continue his mission. He recruits a reluctant Jake to complete it. As an experiment, Jake travels back to 1958 to save Harry's family, who will be killed by his father on Halloween night. Using the alias George Amberson, Jake buys a car and travels to Harry's hometown of Derry, Maine, immediately disliking the place. Jake is able to find Harry's father, Frank Dunning, and track his movements. After saving all but one of Harry's siblings from Frank's brutal assault, Jake returns to 2000 level, hopeful that the improved that, the, that he improved Harry's life only to learn that he indirectly caused Harry to die in Vietnam. Soon afterwards, Al commits suicide. Resigned, Jake re-enters the portal, travels back to Derry, and kills Frank while he is visiting a cemetery. After resolving one of Al's other missions, preventing a hunter from accidentally shooting a young girl, Jake makes his way first to Florida, then to Texas to wait for Oswald's arrival. He eventually settles in Jody, a town on the outskirts of Dallas, where he becomes a full-time English teacher at a local consolidated school. Jake has a positive effect on the students of the school, and is respected in the town. At the wedding reception of the high school librarian, Mimi Corcoran, who is retiring, Jake meets Sadie Dunhill, the new librarian. Soon after Mimi dies, Jake and Sadie are tasked with organizing a memorial assembly, bringing them closer together. Over time... Sadie and Jake fall in love and begin a relationship. Sadie reveals that her ex-husband, John Clayton, had many odd habits owing to his obsessive-compulsive disorder and was emotionally distant. Meanwhile, Jake surveils Lee Harvey Oswald and his family, renting properties close to them and even installing microphones in their apartment. He briefly interacts with Marina Oswald. In the notebook Al gave him, Al states that George Day Matrischild may have been involved in the attempted assassination of Edwin Walker. After witnessing and listening to Oswald, um, Jake plans to stalk Lee on the date of the ass attempted assassination to see if the other person was present, but Clayton finds Sadie and holds her hostage. He calls Jake and threatens to kill Sadie, slashing her cheek open while Jake is on the line. Jake arrives with Deke Simmons, the former principal of the high school and Mimi's widower, and saves Sadie from being killed, but Clayton cuts his throat in front of them. Jake stays with Sadie in the hospital as she recuperates, and as a result, not able to watch Lee as he attempts to kill Edwin Walker. As the date of the Kennedy assassination approaches, Jake gambles on a boxing match and wins, gaining the attention of local businessman Akiva Roth, Roth who goes to Jake's house in Dallas with two associates and has them beat Jake nearly to death. As a result, Jake loses memories of Lee Harvey Oswald and spends weeks in the hospital in a re rehabilitation center. After remembering Al's notebook, he retrieves it and forms a plan to kill Oswald in the Texas School Book Depository on the day of the assassination. He writes a letter to Sadie asking her not to try to find him for her safety. Say, uh, Sadie nevertheless finds him in Fort Worth and the two of them attempt to make it to Dallas in time. 
Along the way, they experience a bus accident and two car accidents, which Jake explains as the past trying to stop them. They arrive at the depository just in time, and Jake successfully present, prevents Oswald from shooting Kennedy. Secret Service members shoot Oswald dead, but not before Oswald shoots Sadie in the process. She dies in Jake's arms. Jake is regarded a hero and is thanked by both John F. Kennedy and Jackie Kennedy. Though the FBI does not suspect him of being involved in the assassination, one agent deduces that he was sent by someone to Texas and tells him to leave before they can find out where he came from. Jake goes back to Lisbon Falls and is met by the green card man, so-called because he wears a green card in his hat, who tells him to go back to 2011 and to see what he has done. Once in the future, Jake discovers that Earth has become a nuclear wasteland and that the natural disasters occur regularly. Through a conversation with Harry Dunning, he finds out that many historical tragedies such as the Jonestown incident happened with an increased death toll and the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was never passed. The plan is on the verge of collapse and many countries are involved in nuclear wars. Jake goes back to the past and is told by the green card man that every trip causes another string, an alternate reality with a different path, past and different future. These strings overlap and eventually can cause reality to fall apart, as evidenced by what Jake saw when he returned to 2011. The green card man says that he is part of a group of people who monitor time slips, who are often driven to insanity because of the many realities that are created when someone travels to the past. He instructs Jake to return to 2011, allowing the future to return to normal. Jake instead stays in 1958 for some time, contemplating to warn Sadie about John Clayton or not. Jake eventually returns to the future, finding that he has returned to normal. He moves out of Lisbon Falls and finds that Sadie is being celebrated as a citizen of the century in Jody, and he goes to the party being held. Sadie, now in her 80s, spent the time between 1958 and 2011 doing charity work and served terms as mayor and in the town legislature and is loved by the people of Jody. Jake asks her to dance. And when she asks who he is, he responds, someone you knew in another life, honey. And they danced. All right, so let's talk about the ending. Um, so where does the ending start? That is the question. Um, if we are discussing the ending as from the climax on, then um, the climax is the point in which the conflict is resolved. Um, it's when it comes to its head. And so Jake stops Harvey Lee Oswald from shooting JFK at the book depository during the assassination attempt. Um, so he stops him, and in this moment, Sadie dies. The falling action would then be um, Jake going back to the future, discovering that his actions have had ripple effects across time, and then undoes everything that, that he did the first time around, or the second time around. And the resolution is he... Um, he investigates what happened to Sadie, goes to meet her um, during the celebration for her, and dances. So that's what I would say the ending is. Um, and so let's talk about the criteria for a good ending. Um, from a character standpoint, does it provide an appropriate conclusion to its characters that is consistent with the character's actions, conflicts, or themes of the book? So this is what's really interesting about 1122-63. For a book that's sold on its time travel hook, you know what would you do if you could go back and stop uh, JFK's assassination? It's really a love story, and it's an exploration of a man's journey. 
You experience this every moment along the way of Jake's second shot at life with every sip of a milkshake or the fulfilling moments when he reinvents himself in Jody, the Texas school system. And of course, you're there for every moment he falls in love with Sadie. So yes, when Sadie dies in his arms, she's dying in our arms as well. He has accomplished his mission, okay? From a plot perspective, yes. But there has been a baton passing that was very slight as the novel went on from plot to character. Um, and from a character perspective, the cost is too great. And ultimately, he learns that it's not even a matter of having one or another. He can't have either. From a character standpoint, it's devastating. Um, so from the climax onward, yes, the, the, the realizations that, that Jake makes and understands about his role in time and how daunting time is and how you can't beat it. Um, and that this life that he had built is snatched away. That's awful. It's devastating. And ultimately the, it, it gives us the most bittersweet, beautiful ending that Stephen King has ever written when he visits Jody, who has lived an entire life without him. Um, and yet they are able to hold each other um, across time, across realities, and share a dance to their song. That is so beautiful. And it wouldn't be unless you cared about the characters. And it's a very fitting ending to these characters. From a plot perspective, does it wrap up the plot? Specifically, do the events build upon one another with consistency? This is a very simple plot. Very simple. Man travels through time to stop JFK's assassination. And because it's so simple, he's able to wring the tension for all it's worth and have us luxuriate in these moments and make it a character-based story. But, I mean, there, there's still a lot of plot there, even though it is simple. The race against time literally to stop Oswald is harrowing and it concludes with Jake actually preventing the death of JFK only to learn that there is a personal and global ramification from this because it's a time travel novel. These time travel rules are explained as to why his actions have consequences. So yes, with a novel that starts with a very plot heavy question, what would you do if you could stop JFK's assassin assassination? It, it makes sense that that question is followed through through its very end so we find out and because we find out i would say that it successfully wraps up the plot was the most famous scene in the novel and does it appear in the conclusion of the story for me the impact of that final dance and that last paragraph it's so powerful and sob inducing it might be the most famous for constant readers okay those of you who know who you are it might be the appearance of bev and richie for casual readers, I don't know. Maybe the assassination attempt. Um, but for me, it's that last dance. Are there other factors we need to consider? Um, yes. Joe Hill, Stephen King's son, who was referenced earlier in that listener email about Heart Shaped Box. Joe Hill is good at giving that final bow on his stories and books. He's able to really make, um, make that last sentence, that last paragraph pop. And word on the street is that he, he either, um, he, he pushed his father to go back to the ending, which ultimately led to, and they danced. And I think that that is, that's just a, a great contribution from, from his son. So, um, 
Personally, do I like the ending? Hell yes, I do. And is it a good ending? Um, based on everything that we just talked about from a character perspective, from a plot perspective, um, is it a good ending? Is it a good ending? It might be his best ending, um, hands down. So let me know what you think um, about 112263 and specifically its ending. So if we're going to do a tally at this point, I have liked 37 out of 43 of the endings that we have talked about um, and based on the criteria that we've been examining 38 out of 43 endings have been good so that's pretty good track record for good old Stephen King um, all right everyone thank you for if you are listening for the first time thank you for joining us if you have been um, a constant listener uh, thank you for having for being patient the last episode that I dropped was in February the good news is that we've got more on the way Um, So you don't have to wait another six months. You'll have another one dropping uh, relatively soon and hopefully another one after that. So um, thank you everyone for listening and stay tuned next week where M-O... No, let me do that again. See, this happens all the time. May you have long days and pleasant nights and I'll see you here next week where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King cast.